When telling my own Jewish story, I often tell people, if you had told me 20 years ago that I would be a rabbi, I would have thought you're under the influence of drugs. No way. Nothing in my four years of college nor the years following would have shown a trace of Jewish allegiance or connection, and yet somehow I found my way back to my roots. Journeys are often not linear. They twist and turn, sometimes so much that it's difficult even to find a common thread. And yet I believe that there's something in our Jewish DNA, whether Jews by birth or Jews by choice, that beckons us home and enables us to make our journeys into a coherent and integral whole. Our guest today and I bonded briefly over this idea, a shared long-term gap in our Jewish stories. He told me that before he was deployed to the Middle East, his rabbi jokingly pretty much gave him a pass on all Jewish practice. Matt Burns is that rare specimen, a native Atlantan, and though life has taken him all around the world in various capacities, he found his way back here. He served seven years with the U.S. Army as a Green Beret with multiple combat deployments in the Middle East, from special forces to corporate banker to triathlete to sheep and cattle rancher. The years have certainly not been dull. He and his wife Heather just had their second child this month, and he has graciously agreed to carve out a few minutes to sit down with us and talk about his own intriguing Jewish journey within the larger world. Welcome to Seeking Sinai, the monthly podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta, where we explore the great spiritual questions of our day. We continue our exploration of Jewish journeys on a quest to inspire and derive meaning from the amazing people around us. Bruchim Abayim, welcome from wherever you are listening. I'm Rabbi Natan, Director of Adult Learning. I'm happy you're with us. Matt, thanks for coming uh, to talk to us. First of all, Mazal Tov on your expanding family. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask that cliche question of, of a new parent, uh, are you getting any sleep? But I will ask, uh, how are you? How's, uh, how, how's the baby, uh, Austin and Heather? They're great. Mama's healthy, baby's healthy, and uh, big brother is, is well-adjusted. He's helping out a lot, so things are good. Got a lot to be thankful for. Awesome. Uh, Jackson is, is how old now? He's going to turn two next week. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so talking about Jewish journeys uh, and, and origins, uh, we, we had um, uh, our Rabbi Emeritus, Phil Krantz, was uh, here in this very space and gave a fascinating talk about, about origins and Jewish genealogies and family trees. Do you, are, are you aware of your own uh, origin, where your family is from in the old country, quote unquote? Not the exact cities. I'm a uh, fourth generation American, though. My great grandparents um, immigrated here. Um, I'm kind of a mutt from Russia, Poland, and France. Uh, I know a lot of Ashkenazi Jews have that Russian-Polish mix, so it's pretty common. I, I do as well, yes. Yeah. Many of us. Um, your, uh, your, your resume is, um, is vast and diverse, and perhaps the most striking piece that, that I mentioned is your long service in the U.S. Army. Um, so I served in the Israeli Army, surrounded by other Jews. You served seven years in the U.S. Army, not exactly known as a destination for maturing young Jewish adults. Were, were there other Jews in your unit? Um, what was it like? You know, there weren't too many other Jews in my unit. I, uh, it, it was never really an issue, though. And I mean, I wore my Judaism proudly. I, uh, I mean, on my dog tags, I had Jewish on there, listed on there. And uh, is there, that um, is that obligatory? It has to have that your, your religion. No, or it you, doesn't. You, that was chosen. You chose. Okay. So you, you can put. You can also put non-denominational. 
um, or any sect of Christianity. But um, no, for the most part, you know, I guess at the beginning of the army in basic training, uh, the one break you get is every Sunday. You got to go to a some sort of service. You can go to any denomination. They have a Buddhist service. They have Christian uh, church service, and they have a uh, Jewish service. So the local Jewish community at uh, down at Fort Benning would bring bagels and uh, cream cheese and donuts and coffee for the Oneg. And uh, so the majority of the people at basic training would all go to this Jewish service. Oh, really? Where, yeah, because they, you were limited food at, at basic training, and they'd go for the donuts. But also, I think the rabbi did a great job of giving uh, more, you know, uh, non-denominational um, talks within the uh, for the services that kind of encompassed everybody and what everybody was going through but he was a also a, a service member agreed it's kind of like um in that show orange is the new black or, or many other shows where the prisoners the inmates want kosher food yeah exactly because they think it it's a little better. better yep uh it reminds me when uh when i was in the israeli army i uh i don't often tell people this but um i i wasn't religious at all at that point and uh, I would pretend to be orthodox, where I had to pray every morning, so that way I could get out of morning chores and not clean the barracks t- toilets in order to go to uh, pray every morning, uh, which is probably why poetic is kind of justice now that I'm a rabbi. And uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. S- same thing. I mean, because if you didn't go to the service, you were working. Exactly, you're, you're exactly. Um, you, uh, you gave the uh, sermon a few years back um, during Veterans Day, and you took us through uh, some math about how few fellow Jews uh, serve the country. You spoke uh, poignantly uh, about how, um, how hurtful it was, about some reactions that you would get from fellow Jews uh, as if you had nothing better to do. That's why you chose to serve in the army. Or why would a nice Jewish boy do such a thing? Um, I, I guess what, what motivated you to enlist and, uh, and, and go for that service for so long especially? Yeah, you know, I was raised where in a family where military service and civil service were considered incredibly honorable. You know, my mom was a district attorney for over 20 years. She was a court of appeals judge. Um, and really, you know, my first, right, well, right after uh, 9-11, I went to a memorial service with my mother at the Marietta Square. And I, uh, I saw my community come together for the first time. People of different races, uh, backgrounds, religions, ethnicities. And we were all American. And at that point, I realized that this is something we're fighting for. And uh, I kept preaching to my family, saying, hey, I want to go. And uh, as most Jewish parents would say, no, go to, go to school, go to college. So I went to college, and then you know, I kept telling them, look, I want to go to OCS, which is the officer's candidate school, over the summers. I said, just graduate first. Then if you want to join the Army, you can join the Army. And then uh, my senior year of college, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So I moved back home to help take care of her and work with my dad. And, uh, you know, one day got in a big fight with my dad. I I love him to death, but, you know, it's tension can be high when you're caring for for, for a loved one, especially one that's that's terminally ill. But uh, I went to my mom. I said, hey, mom. You know, I've got to live my life. This is what I want to do. I want to go join the army. I don't want to make a career out of it. I want to serve, do my part, and uh, and come back. And she had always said no up to this point. And this time that I talked to her about it, she goes, if you did do it, I'd be incredibly proud of you. She's like, give me a week to think about it. And literally a week from that day, she passed away. 
So a month after that, I uh, I enlisted with a chance to go special forces, um, which really this contract is basically a recruiting tool to get people into the infantry. But uh, I was fortunate enough, which a lot of it was luck, uh, to make it all the way through and become a Green Beret. Wow. I, I, I literally got chills when you told that story, um, especially about your mom uh, and just the evolution of that. Um, so, so it was, uh, would you say that that 9-11 was, was really one of the kind of turning points for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of the guys who, who joined kind of, uh, my generation, if you go around the room and ask why you joined, it was, it was 9-11, you know, even some of the, the older, older gentlemen who I was fortunate enough to serve with, you know, who got waivers to serve at 44, 45, they, you know, I think that was, they heard the call after that. Do you think it would have been different? Like, I mean, because 9-11 was, was one of those moments that, like, no one will ever forget where they were. It, it's one of those disruptive moments in our life where, like, the currents of our life are completely changed in our, in our lives. Everyone, no matter what we chose to do afterwards, they, it goes in a different direction. Do you think that, 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 that it would have been different had that not happened? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, like I said, that was a big motivating factor for me joining the military. Um, would I have have not joined, I don't know. Like I said, I was raised where, you know, civil service and military service is, is honorable. So that was always, you know, something that I, I considered. I don't think, you know, um, I don't think it would have been as strong as a passion if I wouldn't have actually been able to see my community come together and materialize. That um, That's what was really the driving factor. Beautiful. Um, that idea of, of service is obviously so important to you. You often uh, talk about it. It's it's really important to me, to me also. You know, we're we're in similar life stages, and and that we we both have two fairly young kids, and and I'm sure we're both thinking how we how we raise those kids to have uh, to live lives of integrity, lives kind of anchored to their to their people, to their heritage, and also lives of um, of service. Is there anything? Uh, I guess would you give any would you give me any advice? On how um, on how we can raise our kids to almost be countercultural because it's so it, it it runs counter to everything that we're learned in this country. In this country, it's all about individualism and taking care of ourselves, and, and we so often forget that that idea of service and how critical it is uh, to the to this world, and also how critical it is to the Jewish life. Like we're in a life of service as Jews, right? And I think, oh, I, I personally think Judaism is a great starting point for values. And I think as a parent, for at least me, or, and I, I come speaking as a very non-experienced parent, but I think it's, it's important to, to put those values out there for your children and to live those values. And they're not necessarily going to accept them, but they may take some portion of it and they may create their own values and their own sense of self. And you hope that it's you know, similar to what you tried to, to teach them. And I think you know, with my children, I've... I, I talk about it with Heather. I'm like, if Jackson or Austin wants to join the army, I'm going to support them. And, and, but I also, I think it's important to let him know, both of them know that that's not the only type of service there is. You know, there's a lot of different ways to give back to your community. There's a lot of, it doesn't have to just be civil service. I've got a, I've, which I think is a really, uh, cool thing that my friend does. He's a, uh, a doctor. He takes his kids over who's in the army he takes his kids over to, to Africa and helps run an aid camp. And the kids, obviously, they aren't you know, practicing medicine, but they're grabbing bandages, they're grabbing meds and, and helping out and learning about a new culture. And, 
and kind of opening their eyes to, to different things around the world and, and learning important life values. Yeah, we, uh, we talk so often in Judaism about, uh, about tikkun, right. uh, tikkun olam, or however you, you want to say it. And, and that, that idea, it's not just social action or social justice, but, but, but it's that idea of service to, like, to make your life more meaningful, to make it about something larger uh, than just ourselves. I, I know for a while this country even was talking about like, you know, mandatory service, you know, civil or military or anything, and, and then it's kind of the conversation has, has, has been eclipsed, but uh, so critical. Um, so when, uh, when I go to the Middle East, I usually, uh, only visit, um, a a speck of land the size of New Jersey. I, I almost always go to Israel. When you were deployed in that, um, same region, you visited, uh, vastly different landscapes. Uh, did you ever feel any connection to a land that was so close that was a part of your, of your blood and your heritage? Um, did you ever have to conceal your identity to anyone else? Yeah, so I mean, my my team members knew when we were overseas that we weren't going to mention my religion. You know, we already have a target on our backs as American. You know, also as a Jew, that you know, I didn't need a second one. It's like a double huge target. Double win. So didn't want that. They understood because I mean, even with uh, the indigenous throughout the Middle East, there's always that insider threat that you got to worry about, and didn't want to give any additional reasons to, to to anyone. Um, but I did feel very close to Israel and I was actually in countries that bordered Israel. And a lot of the times when I was in these countries, I could see Israel. <laughs> um, you know, I, on a day off, I went into Jordan and we went to Aqaba. I went with my teammates and we were free diving and we were looking over and we're like, what part of the city? My friend goes, what part of the city is that? That nice part with all the high, the skyscrapers, the nice hotels. And I'm like, that's, that's Israel. That's a lot. <laughs> That's great. We're, uh, we're, we're just reading now in, in the Torah, like the, the book of Exodus, uh, which introduces Moses, who views the promised land from afar, but can never enter. So yeah. it kind of sounds like you were in a similar uh, yeah. position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I was also, I was, uh, my commander actually sent me to Zako, Iraq, which is near the Syrian border. And he sent me there as a favor. It was only for a few weeks. And he's like, this is one of the places where, you know, there's a lot of Jewish history here. So if you want to go take this this go on this mission here, you can have it for a couple of weeks. Go and I went there, so I felt you know it was cool to be at this city, one of the oldest you know for for Judaism, and uh, where there are basically no Jews left anymore, and to to be you know to be there and and with where all that history is at, and is is very very cool. But uh, yeah, it was uh, also there. Did not mention. Judaism. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's one of the great tragedies of of, of the Arab world. Just that, that that there's such richness of Jewish history in those regions, and and yet because of oppression, because of expulsions, because of war and terrorism, because of so many things, uh, all like all those lines are pretty much blurred now and erased. Yeah, but I mean, for my travels over there, though, I feel like the the Kurdish people are actually probably the most accepting of the Jews over the Middle East, which was also happened to be our partner for us. Yeah, no, great. I mean, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of parallels between right. the Jewish people and the yeah, Kurdish people. And Jewish Kurds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And two, two ancient people from the Middle East who actually maintained their, um, their civilizations, maintained their peoplehood despite everything that's gone around, on around them. Uh, did, 
did you um, see similarities in, in, in heritage or, or behavior because of that? Or um, like, could, could you really become like authentic friends with them? Or was the language too hard? I mean, no. So I picked up Kurdish and everybody on my team spoke fluent Arabic. So most people there spoke, spoke Arabic as well. So we could communicate. Um, there are definitely a lot of similarities. Uh, so when I was actually in Zako, our, we had basically uh, security guards, which was equivalent to their FBI. So very well-trained uh, law enforcement were sitting outside our gates of a house, just kind of low-key looking after us. And I'd always go out there and have chai with them, and we'd drink our tea. And uh, they ended up inviting us to one of their weddings. And the beginning of the wedding is at the men and the women are all split up, similar to, uh, you know, a more traditional Jew. Yeah, right. yeah. And then also the entire wedding is basically a dance similar to the hora, except you're locking pinkies with the person next to you. Wow. And you're and you're going around in a circle for for hours. So yeah, there's definitely similarities there. Did, did they raise the bride and the groom in the chairs or? Uh, <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't do that, but. But there was a, a, lot, a lot of dancing. You, uh, you should have introduced that custom. It, yeah. It, it would have spread I, like wildfire I, in, in the Middle East, you know? I bet it would have. It would have. <laughs> um, there, there, there's a beautiful quote that I, I often pass by um, engraved on a stone uh, at the corner of Chastain Park. Um, I think it's attributed to Theodore Roosevelt. For those who have fought for it, life has a flavor the protected will never know. After experiencing what you've gone through, um, how do you bridge that gap when you talk to others? I mean, well, look, to be honest, I think when I first got out of the Army, I really lacked empathy, I think. And I think I also, and I, but luckily I recognized, and I think when I lost my mom, too, I realized that I lost empathy, I, which I think is so easily to, easy to do these days, is to, you know, look at your situation and just, you know, forget to see what's going on around you. And I, I, I think the, the biggest thing... I do agree with that quote 100%. I think, you know, unfortunately that I've been, I've had been surrounded by death with my family, with my friends, and uh, it, it does give you an appreciation for life, uh, a value for the good days and the bad days. But um, it, uh, I think you really have to be, at the end of the day, kind of uh, transitioning back to the empathy is, is have that uh, understand while you just because you've been through these experiences, it doesn't make anyone else's value for life any less. Mm. And I think that's important to, to consider too. Yeah, maintaining that, that, that empathy, it's also such a Jewish idea of, like of not judging someone else until you've been in their Very circumstances true. and to not judge them because they haven't made the same choices that, that you have. Right. And to approach things just from a place of gratitude, which it seems like so much of what you say is kind of grounded in that. What um uh, speaking, you 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 mentioned bad times. Uh, you know, as I'm sure you're well aware, anti-Semitism now is very much on the rise. There's been a trend um, in recent years, uh, both in in anti-Semitic attacks and also online rhetoric. Uh, what's what's your view on this? Uh, are you concerned? I mean, honestly, it it doesn't really affect me. I you know I don't I I understand that it's increasing, and I understand that we're seeing it online and we're seeing uh, graffiti in different cities but on a day-to-day I don't 
feel oppressed in any way or you know when I work at our farm in in Cannon Georgia where I'm the only Jew in the in Franklin County you know and they all know it I don't feel you know that I'm being treated any differently I uh I understand what's going on if there's you know if there's something that I can do to to I think is basically just to educate people right is to have those conversations those hard conversations with people and show them different but I mean that also means when you're part of such a, a small group the same goes with being in the military you have to have those hard conversations to to teach people to let them know you know the, the realities and the truths and and uh what's actually going on you know within your subset yeah like you say you know being part of such a small group uh education is crucial and talking to people and like you know as such as such a small group, like every one of us is an ambassador. Uh, and so especially someone like you with such different experiences who have met so many different people to actually just share that, uh, it really helps alleviate some of the ignorance that's, um, that's out there. Uh, so you've worn many uh, hats here at Sinai, whether um, as a, uh, a ballroom dancer, um, which was very impressive, by the way, um, or a preacher, or currently uh, serving in Sinai's Culture Belonging Task Force, uh, what what have those been like, and kind of what are your next steps in in, in your own Jewish journey? I'm thinking uh, kosher beef. Okay, <laughs> no, is, that, is that from your no, farm? No, yeah, I'm just kidding. I uh, well, yeah. Look, I've I think when the rabbi asks you to do something, you, you do it. That's you know, you, you can't say no to the rabbi. Is that Rabbi Ron or Rabbi Brad or Rabbi Sam? Any of <laughs> like, like, <laughs> or you? You know, I'm not gonna say you, you don't say no to the rabbi. <laughs> But, um, you know, you, no, sh- I, you shouldn't tell me that. I, yeah, I've, I've yeah. got some requests. There. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know what you need. But, uh, no, I'm definitely glad we didn't have to do Dancing with the Stars because Gail Cohen was, <laughs> she was in pretty big competition. But, uh, look, the next part of my, I think my Jewish journey is, is, is passing it down to the next generation, is, is coming back to my community. I think we all go through different phases of Judaism and, and spirituality and religiousness. And I think, you know, I think it's important to maintain that in your life, even when you don't necessarily think you need it. It's, uh, you're, you realize that you, you, there's still a lot to benefit from, right? So I feel like I'm still, even though I've been out of the army now for geez, four years, you know, I still feel like I'm making my way back into the Jewish community, one that I love so dearly and, and one that's important to me and try and, you know, acclimate back into it and, and give back and, be a uh, a part of it. Well, you've clearly already made a huge impact uh, in 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 those few years uh, in your time back, um, and we're very grateful for it. Um, uh, a final question: uh, You said that one of your passions is a, is a love for the great outdoors. Uh, how does your does that uh, impact or inform your Jewish identity in, in any way in terms of uh, spirituality that, that that you may find from the outdoors? You know, like often. Judaism is called like, you know, we're called the people of the book and we're so bookish and we're, we're, we're here in a library surrounded by books and we think that Judaism has to happen within a sanctuary or a library or a synagogue. But like, does the, what, what do the outdoors mean to you as, as a Jew? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily fear, feel more spiritual walking down by the Chattahoochee, but, you know, when I'm out in the woods and, you know, you, uh, you start seeing the animals move and you start hearing animals all around you I you definitely get a sense of uh of something bigger and more also I think with 
I guess, like my travels, if I, you know, you, you see these incredible landscapes and it just gives you this sense of, like I said, something bigger, uh, uh, something had to create this. And then you kind of take that back to your, relate that back to your Judaism. And I'd say probably more of a, the, the woods really gives me more of a stronger connection, I guess, to God than, than anything. Yeah. Be beautiful. Yeah, we're. Uh, have you heard that we're building this um, this nature trail uh, outside here on the grounds? It's going to be like a mile and a half uh, loop uh, all around the, the the woods here through trees and through like hills. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, it's such an awesome compliment yeah, just, just to allow people to find spirituality and to find God and to you know we're about to celebrate Tubishvat, the the birthday of the trees, and just to look at the trees and and like you said, just uh, imagine something that's bigger than us which your life has exemplified so far. So uh, oh, thank you. keep on doing what you're doing. You too. Uh, Matt, uh, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Uh, your journey, as you know, is fascinating and inspiring and has left us with a lot of food for thought. And thanks again for coming under the circumstances. As a parent of two similarly aged kids, I would be lying if I said it gets easier. But as you know, it's worth it. Our gratitude to Heather and the boys for letting us borrow you a bit. And Chaz Cloud, thank you for your expert editing, publishing Beth Schaefer for the opening and closing music. And for our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai Atlanta. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we've discussed, please let us know. This is not just a conversation live via podcast. It's also one across time and medium. So please make yourself a part of it. Our next episodes will continue to span some diverse voices, Jewish journeys to challenge and to inspire. Until then, setchem le shalom, go in peace.